You are listening to audio from First Baptist Church in Fort Walton Beach. If you would like more resources or to watch our service online, please visit fbcfwb.org. Listen in as Pastor Wade helps us abide in Christ and advance the gospel through the teaching and the proclamation of God's Word. And that's a good way to lead into our study tonight because we're talking about victories. Now, last week when we looked at Psalm 17, we talked about being squeezed by life. Who was here last week and remembers that um, that teaching time? We said last week that um, when you're squeezed by life, it's a good time to take a spiritual inventory because when you're squeezed, what's on the inside comes out. It can be revealing what's on the inside, the things you might need to deal with and take to the Lord. Well, this week we're going to look at David celebrating victory. And there are some things that you and I can learn from victories as well as defeats. And sometimes a victory can be just as dangerous to our spiritual lives as hardship can be. So we'll talk about what that looks like as we work through Psalm 18. Now, I told you that we're doing one psalm per week. You might notice if you glance at this psalm, there's 50 verses. And we're going we're gonna to stay on track, and we're going to cover Psalm 18 in one, uh, one night. And so even when we get to the long psalms, we'll, we'll kind of cover those in summary form. Like Psalm 119 has 176 verses. We're going to do that in one night. Uh, but it'll kind of be a summary overview of that psalm. And we'll do kind of an overview of Psalm 18 tonight as well. We're going to kind of stay on track because I could preach five sermons from Psalm 18. So we're going to, we're going to just um, keep moving. So let me pray for us, and then we will uh, jump in. Father, we are grateful for this day that you've given us. Every day is a gift from you. I thank you, Lord, for those that are in this room tonight. I thank you for their families. I thank you, Lord, for what the folks in this room mean to our church and um, what they mean to me. And God, I pray your blessing and strength uh, on them, Uh, Lord, your leadership, your guidance, your empowerment as they seek to serve you. I pray for the other ministries taking place in our campus. I know our young people tonight are talking about missions, and Lord, I pray that you would use that tonight to really prick the hearts of our young people, uh, that that they would understand anew and afresh that your heart is a missionary heart, that you sent your son to die for the sins of the world, and the world needs to hear the good news. And so, God, I pray that you would use uh, that emphasis tonight, and we'll thank you, Lord, for that grace. Uh, Draw near to us as we study. We love you, we praise you, and lift this prayer up to you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, look there in Psalm 18. We're going to read just a few verses to get started, then we'll kind of jump back and forth into the psalm. But I really want you to pay special attention to... Uh, the the description of the psalm found there right before verse 1 in the smaller letters. It says, to the choir master. So this was a, a hymn written to be used in corporate worship. To the choir master, a psalm of David. That's who wrote it. The servant of the Lord who addressed the words of this song to the Lord on the day when the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. And that's when he said, and the rest of the psalm is what he said. So this is a song of praise that David wrote in response to God giving him victory. 
Okay, so it's very instructive to keep that in mind as we work our way through Psalm 18. And he begins by saying, I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised and I'm saved from my enemies. The cords of death encompassed me. The torrents of destruction assailed me. The cords of shale entangled me. The snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called upon the Lord. To my God, I cried for help. From his temple, he heard my voice and my cry to him reached his ear. So we'll look at uh, the rest of the psalm as we work our way through it. But just a reminder before we kind of break down Psalm 18 uh, as to the major theme of the book of Psalms. Kendall Easley says, God, the true and glorious King, is worthy of all praise and prayer, thanksgiving and confidence, whatever the occasion in personal or community life. And John Piper says the Psalms are songs, they are poems, they're written to awaken and express and shape the emotional life of God's people. Poetry and singing exist because God made us with emotions, not just thoughts. Our emotions are massively important. So those two statements kind of uh, frame our discussion as we think through what the Psalms are all about. Now again, this Psalm of praise and victory was written and sung after the Lord made David king of all Israel and gave him victory over all of his enemies. His main enemy was Saul, and Saul enlisted uh, all of his resources to try and hunt down and kill, destroy David, but God gave him uh, victory. So he wrote this song in response. Another version of this of this song is found in 2 Samuel 22. So just right there, maybe in your margin or in your notes there, 2 Samuel 22, you'll find very similar wording, some exact wording in 2 Samuel as you do here in Psalm uh, 18. John Calvin says about the occasion of this psalm, we ought carefully to mark the particular time when this psalm was composed, as it shows us that David, listen, when his affairs were brought to a state of peace and prosperity, was not intoxicated with extravagant joy like irreligious men who, when they've obtained deliverance from their calamity, shake off from their minds the remembrance of God's benefits. In other words, David was not so caught up in the blessings of God that he forgot about God. Does that make sense? Sometimes you can get so enamored by the goodness of God, the the blessing of God, the favor of God, the victory of God. You get so caught up in enjoying what God has done that you forget it came from God's hands. And, And David doesn't make that error. He doesn't make that mistake. And I think there's a lot to learn from David. So here's kind of my thesis tonight, all right? How you handle success says as much about your Christian life, if not more, than how you handle hardship. How you handle success says as much about your Christian life, if not more, than how you handle hardship. So what I want to show you tonight is eight ways that David responded to victory, what the victory of God did for him spiritually, and how it spurred him uh, on to to certain uh, behaviors and responses. So eight ways David responded to victory, and I think we could learn from his responses. Number one, victory fueled his praise. Victory 
fueled his praise. Look back with me in verse 1. He begins just by praising God. I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield, the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. I am saved from my enemies. So this, this psalm begins with praise. God gave him victory. He praises God. But look how it ends in verse 46. The Lord lives and blessed be my rock and exalted be the God of my salvation, the God who gave me vengeance and subdued peoples under me, who rescued me from my enemies. Yes, you exalted me above those who rose against me. You delivered me from the man of violence. For this I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations and sing to your name. Great salvation he brings to his king and shows steadfast love to his anointed, to David and his offspring forever. So it's interesting to note that this psalm opens and closes with a doxology. It opens and closes with statements of praise to God. And victories should cause us to celebrate our great God. Victory should cause us to celebrate our great God. In the church my wife grew up in, uh, Pleasant Grove Baptist Church, it was their custom, I think it was a cool custom, it was their custom when someone made a decision for Christ on a Sunday morning, they would close the service with, to God be the glory, great things he has done. You know, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, let the earth hear. You know, that song. And they would sing to God be the glory as a way to just note, hey, this is a victory. And God has been, God has been good and shown his favor and power. So victories should cause us to celebrate our great God. Again, we can get so caught up in the good stuff, we forget it came from a good God, right? And David doesn't make that mistake. Victory, favor, blessing points him, fuels his praise. Sometimes when we are living in victory, sometimes when we're experiencing great blessing, we can even forget about God, can't we? In fact, that's sort of the narrative of our nation, I believe. God blessed America in remarkable ways for these, uh, these 200 plus years we've been in existence. And over time, as we've gotten wealthy and prospered and experienced blessing after blessing after blessing, it seems that we've lost our spiritual bearing, haven't we? And we've forgotten that it comes from God. And so victory fueled his praise. Number two, victory fueled his love for God. Victory fueled his love for God. Verse one, I love you, O Lord, my strength. I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer in whom I take refuge. Now, uh, here uh, in, this, in this, these first two verses, we see that, again, the victory of God causes him to love God more. And we should not love the gifts of God more than the giver of these gifts. He doesn't say, Lord, I, I just love the victory. I love the fact that I'm king now. I love it, I love it, I love it. I love the, I love the change in my circumstances in life. He's excited about the victory. He mentions the victory. He mentions how he defeated his enemies. But he says, first, I love you Lord, we should not love the gifts of God more than the giver of these uh, gifts. Uh, you know, it's like uh, 
when you, you know, in marriage, if you give a gift to your spouse, you, you want to bless them. And if you give a gift to your spouse and they go on and on about the gift and never stop and say, well, hey, thanks for the gift. That might sting a little bit, right? They're more excited about the gift than the giver. And sometimes we can be just like that in our relationship with God. Victory fueled his love for God. Number three, victory fueled his dependence. It fueled his dependence. There in verse four, he says, The cords of death encompassed me. The torrents of destruction assailed me. The cords of shale entangled me. The snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called upon the Lord to my God. I cried for help from his temple. He heard my voice. My cry to him reached his ears. Then the earth reeled and rocked. The foundations also of the mountains trembled, quaked because he was angry. God came to his rescue. Smoke went up from his nostrils and devouring fire from his mouth. Glowing coals flamed forth from him. He bowed the heavens and came down. Thick darkness was under his feet. He rode on a cherub and flew. He came swiftly on the wings of the wind. He made darkness his covering, his canopy around him. Thick clouds dark with water. Out of the brightness before him, hailstones and coals of fire broke through the clouds. Speaking of God coming in judgment against David's enemies. The Lord, Lord also thundered in the heavens. The Most High uttered his voice, hailstones and coals of fire. And he sent out his arrows and scattered them. He flashed forth lightnings and routed them. Through the channels of the sea were seen. The foundations of the world were laid bare. It's your rebuke, O Lord, at the blast of the breath of your nostrils. He sent from on high. He took me. He drew me out of many waters, he says. He drew me out of many waters. He rescued me from my strong enemy and from those who hated me, for they were too mighty for me. They confronted me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my support. Notice that phrase. The Lord was my support. And then in verse 36 through 46, he kind of, again, uses this, this imagery, this, this poetic language to speak of how God helped him. Look in verse 36. You gave a wide place for my steps under me. My feet did not slip. I pursued my enemies and overtook them, did not turn back, back till they were consumed. I thrust them through so they were not able to rise. They fell under my feet. Why? Look, look at the next verse. For you, God, you equip me with strength for the battle. You made those who rise against me sink under me. You made my enemies turn their backs to me. And those who hated me, I destroyed. They cried for help, but there was none to save. They cried to the Lord, but he did not answer them. And so David just keeps saying in this, this hymn, God, I was victorious because you helped me. He realized that his victory could, could not be attributed to him. David realized it wasn't because he was strong or clever or a military strategist. He knew God gave him the victory. Now notice that the, the dominant metaphor for God in this psalm is that of a rock. Okay, God is not literally a rock. When it says God is my rock, it's speaking of a metaphor. So look what it says there in verse 2. The Lord is my rock and my fortress, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge. Look in verse 31. For who is God but the Lord? Who is a rock except our God? Look in verse 46. The Lord lives and blessed be my rock and exalted be the God of my salvation. The imagery of the rock conveys two things. Number one, it conveys God is my refuge. God is the one I run to and hide behind in times of trouble. Charles Spurgeon says this, Dwelling among the crags and mountain fastnesses of Judea, 
David had escaped the malice of Saul, and here he compares his God to such a place of concealment and security. Believers are often hidden in their God from the strife of tongues and the fury of the storm of trouble. The clefts of the rock of ages are safe abodes. So he's saying David's thinking about the rocks where he would run from Saul and hide in the caves. And he's saying, that's what God was like to me. He was a place I could I could go and hide from my enemies. God is my refuge. But also the, the image of the rock means God is my sure foundation. Look in verse 18. They confronted me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my support. I, I built my life on the rock. God is a rock and he is a sure foundation. In, in fact, Hold your place. Look over in Psalm 40. Psalm 40, verse 2. Actually, look in verse 1, another Psalm of David. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog and set my feet upon what? A rock, making my steps secure. And so David's saying, the only reason I had victory is because God was a place I could go and hide. And God was a sure foundation for my steps. And he just keeps recounting how God had helped him to win the victory. Now, here's the question for you and I to consider tonight. And it's a serious question because it deals with our spiritual perspective and, and spiritual lives. Do the mountaintops and victories of life humble you or make you proud? Say it again. Do the mountaintops and victories of life humble you or make you proud? Do they remind you of the goodness of God and the fact that you're dependent upon Him? Or do they make you feel pretty good about yourself and your resources and your wisdom and your strength? David keeps saying, it wasn't me. God was the one who gave me the victory. So victory should humble us and remind us of our dependence upon the Lord. Number four, victory fueled his prayer life. It fueled his prayer life. There in verse three, I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. I am saved from my enemies. Now remember in Psalm 17, when he was in trouble, he prayed. Psalm 17, verse 1. Hear a just cause, O Lord, attend to my cry. Give ear to my prayer from lips free of deceit. And so when David was in trouble, now watch this, he prayed. When David experienced victory and blessing, watch this, he prayed. Prayer is not something that we put on the shelf until we need it. God is not a spare tire that we forget about until we have a flat. Amen? He, the victory fueled his prayer life. He wanted to talk to God more in response to what God had done for him. David recognized God's hand moving in his life in response to his prayers. How many of you keep a prayer journal? Just raise your hand. Just prayer journal. A prayer journal is, is a good thing to have. And, and I'm very haphazard with mine. I try to keep notes and I have it on my phone and I have a prayer app on my phone and and sometimes I'm, I do better at, at keeping up than other times. But when I'm diligent to record answers to prayer, like where I prayed about something specifically and God directly answered, and I write that down, you know what it does? It makes me want to pray more. It makes me, it reminds me, hey, God, you answer prayer. 
specific prayers. And I want to pray about more stuff because you have answered my prayers. So David recognized God's hand moving in his life in response to his prayers. Prayer is not just for rainy days. Amen? Prayer should be a a daily discipline in our lives, whether we're in a valley or on the mountaintop. We need to continue to talk to God. Victory fueled his prayer life. Number five, victory fueled his desire for holiness. Look in verse 20. He says here, The Lord dealt with me according to my righteousness. According to the cleanness of my hands, he rewarded me, for I've kept the ways of the Lord. And I'm not wickedly departed from my God, for all his rules were before me as statues I did not put away from me. I was blameless before him. I kept myself from my guilt. So the Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands in his sight. David understood that one of the reasons that God had answered his prayers and blessed him is because he was walking with God. He was living in righteousness and holiness. And here's the the takeaway for us in this room. Those who ignore God's truth and God's standards should not expect God's help. Like Saul, King Saul. He was, he, he really, jealousy drove him mad. And Saul turned out to be a very evil king, a very evil ruler. He could have been a great ruler. He was, he was tall and handsome, head and shoulders above all the other males uh, in Israel. He, he made some great decisions early on in his in his kingdom but he was so jealous of David it drove him mad and and David here is saying the reason God blessed me is because I took him seriously I was walking with him I was living in righteousness and holiness cleanness of my hands and according to that he rewarded me. Those who ignore God's truth and God's standards should not expect his help. Psalm 66 says this. This important verse. Those who regard iniquity in their heart, he will not hear. Those who regard iniquity in their heart, he will not hear. That doesn't mean perfect. It doesn't mean you have to be perfect to pray, but it means you need to deal with your stuff, right? You need to take God seriously. And, and, and just deal with your stuff. It, it's kind of the illustration I use all the time. It's a simple, kind of silly illustration. But, you know, if I tell my kids to clean the room and they ignore me, and I tell them again, clean your room, they ignore me. I say, clean your room, they ignore me. And I walk by the room and it's filthy. And they walk up to me and say, hey, Dad, let's go get ice cream. What am I going to say? Why don't you do what I told you to do? And then we'll talk about ice cream, Right? Won't you, won't you obey me before you come ask me for stuff? And that's basically what David's saying here. I, I, I took you seriously, God. Now, we know David had his high moments. He had his low moments. There's sometimes he really blew it. But even when he blew it, he was convicted and repented and wanted to get right with God. And so victory fueled his desire for holiness. He realized that God came to his rescue because he took God seriously. Number six. Victory taught him the ways of God. I didn't really know how to say this. I've I've kind of conflicted of the the wording to use, and but but I wanted to I wanted to put something here because verses twenty five through thirty are interesting. Look what it says in verse twenty five. 
With the merciful, you show yourself merciful. With a blameless man, you show yourself blameless. With the purified, you show yourself pure. With the crooked, you make yourself seem tortuous. This goes back to Galatians 6. Whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. It's basically what he's saying here. For you save a humble people, but the haughty eyes you bring down. For it is you who light my lamp. The Lord, my God, lightens my darkness. For by you I can run against a troop. By my God I can leap over a wall. This God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for all those who take refuge in him. So here's what's happening. And this is, I think this is interesting. David is, is he's kind of, he's kind of sitting back and he's thinking about the victory. Like he's recounting everything in his mind. He's thinking about all those sleepless nights running for his life. He's thinking about hiding in the caves. He's thinking about Saul throwing a spear at him. He, he's thinking about all that transpired and, and how he saw God work and how God eventually gave him a dramatic victory over Saul and made him the king of his people. And, he, and he's, he's thinking about how all of this played out, how all of this transpired. And David's saying, there's some things to learn here about how God works. I, I can see some patterns as to how God does what he does. And he says things like this. Well, when, when you're a merciful person, God will show you mercy. God's built that into the fabric of, of life, that, that what we sow, we reap. When you're purified, God, you show yourself pure. When someone's crooked, you stand against them. You make yourself seem tortuous. When someone's humble, you save them. When someone's haughty or prideful or arrogant or full of hubris, you bring them down. That's how you work, God. You, you support those who are living in humility. You stand opposed to those who are living in pride, which is exactly what Peter said, 1 Peter 5. God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And so David's thinking about this victory, and he's saying, this, this is how God works. I see some patterns here as to how God works in my life, and God works in circumstances, and God brings the victory. Victory taught him the ways of God. And he's just, he's thinking about God's way. In fact, verse 30, his way is perfect, he says. The way God does what he does is perfect. God doesn't make mistakes, and he learned from the ways of God. Number seven, victory fueled his gratitude for the nearness of God. Victory fueled his gratitude for the nearness of God. Now look what it says in verse 31. Who is God but the Lord? Who is a rock except our God? The God who equipped me with strength, made my way blameless. He made my feet like the feet of a deer, set me secure on the heights, trains my hands for war, he says, so that my arms can bend a bow of bronze. You give me the shield of your salvation. Your right hand supported me. Your, I love this phrase. Your gentleness made me great. What a phrase. In other words, David is saying, as I walk through these circumstances, you were near. You were, you were giving me skill. You were training my hand for war. You were supporting me with your right hand. You were gentle to me. And you, you carried me through this difficult time. In other words, David is grateful that in the midst of this conflict in which he was engaged, God drew near. 
And what does that mean for us? We're going to learn from David. We should be grateful for God's investment in our lives. Think for a moment about all that God has done for you. I mean, can you even begin to wrap your mind around the nearness of God, the goodness of God in your life? The times he has helped you, the times he has trained you, the times he has changed you, the times he's corrected you, the times he has led you, the times he has guided you, the times he's been gentle with you and patient with you. We could go on and on, right? And David said, I'm just so glad as I walked through this situation that God was near. It fueled his gratitude, his sense of thanksgiving, which leads to number eight. Victory fueled his comprehension of God's greater purposes. Victory fueled his comprehension of God's greater purposes. David ends this psalm in a very interesting way. So look what it says in verse 49. For this, your victory, you subdued my enemies. For this... I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations and sing to your name. Now look in verse 50. Great salvation he brings to his king. David here is saying, I've been made king of Israel now. Great salvation he brings to his king and shows steadfast love to his anointed, the anointed king. But look at the last phrase. To David and his offspring forever to David and his offspring forever. Now, what in the world is David talking about? God, you have shown love, steadfast love. That's kessed, by the way, the word kessed. You've shown steadfast love to David and his offspring forever. What does he mean? He is referring back to 2 Samuel chapter 7. David here mentions the Davidic covenant which is fulfilled in Christ. So over in 2 Samuel 7, the Lord appears to David. And, you know, David wants to build a house for God. He wants to build a temple. And because he was a man of war, the Lord said, you're not the one to build the temple. Your son Solomon will build the temple. But hey, David, instead of you building me a house, I'm going to build you a house. I'm going to give you descendants, royal descendants, a, a lineage of royalty. And there will be someone that sits on the throne of David in the lineage of David forever, forever. And David maybe didn't understand how that promise could be fulfilled. But looking back through biblical lenses, we know that promise was fulfilled through Christ. Through the royal lineage of David came Jesus right? He came through the the seed of David. And when he died on the cross, rose from the grave, was exalted to the right hand of God, he took his place as King of Kings and Lord of Lords over human history, over the universe. And he will sit on that throne, that royal throne forever and ever and ever. So the promise God made to David in 2 Samuel 7 is fulfilled in Christ. So David's referring to that promise. He says, God, you've promised you're going to bless me and my offspring forever. Eventually, that leads to King Jesus, which is why over in Matthew chapter 1, when it, it, right before the, 
the, the genealogy is shared of Christ. It calls Jesus the son of Abraham. He fulfilled the Abrahamic covenant, right? He came through the Jews. And the son of David. He fulfilled the Davidic covenant, the promise God made to David. In, in fact, hold your place. Return over to Romans 15 with me, New Testament book of Romans. Look in chapter 15. Chapter 15, verse 9. You know, I have one, I was talking to somebody this week, I have one recurring nightmare. You want to hear my one recurring nightmare? That I have you all turn to a passage of Scripture and I can't find it. I dream, they're in my dreams, and I just, I'm dreaming, I'm at the pulpit, and everybody's at this, the verse, they're waiting for me to get there, and I cannot find it. And I had that nightmare, you know, quite a bit. So anyway, but I found it. Romans 15, Romans 15, verse 9. Bible says, well, look at verse 8. I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised, that's the Jews, to show God's truthfulness, in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs, in order that that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy, as it is written, therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. Again, it is said, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And so God made a promise to David that he would have descendant forever. But notice here, the promise is not just for the Jews. He was going to set up a kingdom that the Gentiles were invited to be a part of. Now, H.C. Leupold says this, David was given victory over Saul to make possible the greater victories of his greater son. So let's just say, for example, that David died. Saul killed him. Davidic dynasty comes to an end. God could not have kept his promise to send a Messiah through his royal lineage, right? He had to keep David alive and give David descendants in order to send the Messiah and keep the Davidic covenant. So there's a lot at stake here. So yes, God saved David's life. Yes, God gave David great victory, but he had a bigger purpose than just David. He was going to send the Messiah, and the Messiah would be for the world. Listen to this. God preserved David for you and for me in this room right now. So Jesus could come and die for the sins of the world. So Jews and Gentiles could be saved through the, the forever king, King Jesus. Now, what does that mean for us? This is important. This is important. We should recognize that God has a larger purpose for our blessings and victory. Turn over to Psalm 67. I want to close with this. Psalm 67. Psalm 67, we should recognize that God has a larger purpose for our blessings and victories. Uh, skip down to verse 6. Oh, let's, do, let's do verse 1. It's too good not to read. Look at verse 1. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. So the, the prayers for God's blessing. How many of you have ever prayed for God's blessing in your life? Yeah, yeah, obviously, right? 
But look at the next verse, that, there's a purpose here, that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Then in verse six, the earth is yielded its increase. God, our God, blesses us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. In other words, the psalmist here is saying, God, you have blessed us so we can be a blessing. Specifically, to make your name, your greatness known to all the other nations around us. In other words, God has a larger purpose for the individual blessings in our lives. I believe we are always blessed in order to be a blessing. And that's what David's saying back in Psalm 18. God, you're, 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 you've given me victory, but you've also taken into account my descendants, the Davidic throne. There'll, there'll always be someone on the Davidic throne through King Jesus. So God, you had a larger purpose in mind. Victory fueled his comprehension of God's greater purposes. So when you experience a, a victory in life, a blessing in life, God's favor, something good's happening, things are going good, a mountaintop type moment. Learn to ask the question, why? What's God up to? What's the larger purpose? How can God use what he's doing in my life to bless other people? What's the larger purpose? And so I hope you see here that David handled this victory well. This victory spurred him towards spiritual maturity and dependence and humility and an apprehension of God's larger purposes in his life. And I believe that's how you and I should celebrate victories as uh, well. Except for football victories. Those you can just go crazy and cheer and make fun of the other team. But that's, 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 that's different. It's almost football season. Thank you for listening. We pray you've been encouraged and inspired by God's Word. May the Lord richly bless you.